0: Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show for your Friday. Good to be with you today. Matt and Patrick here. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Patrick, how are we today? Uh, it's a very slow news day. That's sarcasm, if you can't tell. <laughs> well, it actually is a, a pretty big news day and one that broke last night, which I'm going to definitely touch on as well. Uh, so it's, yeah. It, a, a lot going on there Kevin McCarthy I think is he stopped weeping uncontrollably in the corner of the house at this point uh so do we have a can we check on c-span do you think they might have a camera feed on that <laughs> there he is in the fetal position on the floor right by the gavel ah oh, he's he's doing great he's doing great <laughs> God uh anything locally broken major here I mean I mean, and there's a lot of national news that's breaking, but well, I mean, obviously, in the the Met story, I'm going to get to from last night. But uh, anything? Did I miss anything here locally? I mean, did, did 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 you know Governor Walls all of a sudden get into a bar fight or something like that? Doris <laughs> <laughs> is t- out of man I'll take Kato, I'll, I'll, I'll put twenty five on Walls by the way in a heartbeat. I'll take I'll take go go military. That's for sure. Uh, but nothing. It's not like I missed anything in the last hour, is there? I don't think so. The only big local story that I can think of was the Mary Moriarty thing from yesterday. I'm going to get that into the 4 o'clock hour. I'm going to get that into the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, It's like, hey, we're all calmed down. Here comes comes Mary. Talk about putting a log on the fire. Along comes Mary. And all the wings we worked out end up, they fall apart and everyone screams. Okay. There's like four guys from the 60s that just laughed. I just because that is a bad version of that song, and I just made it up off the top of my mind. But we'll get to that in the four o'clock hour. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. Some dancing coming up a little bit later on. Guest free though, so you want to chime into this crap fest? You're more than welcome to. <laughs> Why not? It can't get any worse. <laughs> um, all right. So the, I guess I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with uh, obviously the, the the Diane Feinstein. Uh, Dianne Feinstein has passed away. Uh, According to multiple news reports, the California Democrat was 90, had announced in February she would not run for re-election in 2024. Uh, uh, Feinstein last voted early Thursday, but missed votes later in the day. Her death was the first reported by Punchbowl News. Um, California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom will pick her replacement until the 2024 election. The House Rules Committee met Friday morning on a bill to temporarily fund the government to avoid the... Partial government shutdown. GOP Chair Tom Cole of Oklahoma held a moment of silence for the senator. Government le- funding is set to expire Saturday at midnight. The top Democrat on the committee, James McGovern of Massachusetts, praised Feinstein's career, which began in the 1960s. She was a great leader, a great fighter, and for the rights of women, for all people in this country, he said. A long-time gun control advocate who was first elected to Congress in 1992, she served as the first woman to chair the Senate Rules Committee and Senate Intelligence Committee. In May, she returned to the Senate after suffering an extended case of shingles and using a wheelchair. Among calls from some Democrats, she should retire due to her poor health. She rejected that criticism. I've returned to Washington and I'm prepared to resume my duties in the Senate. Her office did not respond to requests for comment. So obviously her passing. Um, It does bring up an interesting discussion point, which I think is valid to – Put forward, and and that is is when is it time? You know, it, do you have rules on when person should retire? I don't know. I mean, one of the things that uh, Dean Phillips is out there talking about: Joe Biden's too old. Joe Biden's too old. Joe Biden's kicking ass. You <laughs> know, Joe Biden is kicking ass, and he's doing a pretty damn good job of it. And. Uh, you know, I you know, I'm I'm hard pressed to 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 say that he should step down because even though he's older, he's absolutely getting a ton of stuff done. He's been able to tie the Republicans into knots. He's been he's been one of the most productive first terms in the history of this country, for goodness sakes, considering what he took over. For God's sakes, amazing what he's done. So I mean, I I mean, I can look at someone who says, Oh, Joe Biden should retire. Well, that's just I think that's more just age discrimination. Frankly, that's what I think. But well, when, when you look at Mitch McConnell, I mean, how many times? has it been two times now that Mitch McConnell has actually frozen up and just sat there and had to have someone kind of pull him off the stage? That's, he's not doing well. Now, I'm not saying he can't recover from that, but if that's his new normal, can he do his job? And you see that? And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, OK, we've, we've talked about this before. Um, Woodrow Wilson. There was nothing in place to remove a president if they became incapacitated. And uh, I think it was about midway through Woodrow Wilson's second term, he had a fairly major stroke and was not really seen by the public that much anymore. He was, you know, pretty much relegated to his room. And and there's this this argument. His wife basically became the president of the United States because she would take the bills – She would take them into his office and then come back out and tell him what he agreed with, what he didn't agree with, and they were signed and stuff like this. And so it was a case where, you know, really, (laughs) she ran the country. We've already had our first woman president, and that's just the truth, really. It was after that they realized they had to have some way to remove a man from office if they proved to be incapacitated or incapable in, in of performing the job as a matter of fact after the January 6th ride apparently multiple cabinet members in the Trump White House actually had met to discuss removing Donald Trump from office which once again no Republican wants to hey, we just, just a disagreement I mean it's the closest we've gotten in since that law was put into place to removing you know removing an actual sitting president but in the case of Wilson, I mean, it was a health issue, and and Senator Feinstein is. It was clear that there were times where she just wasn't doing that well, and I've I've had grandparents, I've had parents. We all go through this. We all go through. We can see that kind of what happens, and you know, I've I I mean, one of the reasons why I'm kind of have no problem with Joe Biden being in office for a second term is my dad. My dad was in his 80s and um he um you know was was fine. I mean, he would go on trips. He would, you know, was still going hunting, you know, he was, you know, we'd bring the kids up and he'd play with the kids and I didn't see a guy that was he had lost a, a step mentally or, you know, and, and he was physically able to do things. I mean, I I just that's the experience, but I've also had relatives where you can you can tell things aren't going well. And you ask the question of whether or not, you know, you know, is, is this someone who should be put in position of, of power or decision making? And, and 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 frankly, I'll be blunt. Yes, I've had relatives who I would I would have pulled from the, a decision making process like that because they just they've been compromised because of their mm-hmm. mental health and their health issues. So it's a this is an interesting debate. I will say that it's going to be interesting to watch the Republicans who for decades now have basically campaigned – have basically besmirched every Democrat as Dianne Feinstein's San Francisco liberal party mentality – you know, that's when it comes to campaign season. That's always been an attack. Oh, it's just another one of these liberal progressives like Diane Feinstein from San Francisco. You know, that's kind of the mentality. And so it's—I I don't. My guess is maybe they'll Ilhan Omar. Maybe I don't know. They'll—they'll they'll find someone though to go on out there and 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 use as the vilification that every candidate that runs was is, is basically the equivalent of that. Um. I will say this about Mitch McConnell. I, did you catch any, uh, Patrick, did you catch any of Mitch McConnell's very touching speech from the, the Senate floor today about uh, the senator? I have not had the chance to see that, but I'll watch it tonight when I get home. It's hard to see this because this is a guy who's made a lot of decisions which have been fairly heartless. He truly is emotionally wrecked as he's talking about this. I mean, he, he talks about how his wife— was on boards with her husband and so they had known each other in, in social circles for years and years and years. They were friends. They would, you know, they, they disagreed on politics, but there it was, you know, Mitch McConnell is clearly very emotional about this. And so, you know, uh, it, it's, it is nice to see the the, 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 outpouring of condolences from, you know, I mentioned in the story here um, Cole of uh, you know, you know the, what was the, the yeah Tom Cole the Republican from Oklahoma making the, <laughs> the taking the time you know and 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 putting that out there so yeah that, that's one of the major news stories of the day oh, by the way and just uh, the the Gavin Newsom will have the ability to pick who the next uh, senator is because in okay in a House seat it's a special election they have an, a special election right away and and that's kind of where they go when it's the when when it's a Senate seat, the governor of the state where the senator was um appoints a person to fulfill the rest of that term. Well, I, I gotta be careful how I say this. They fulfill up until the next election season because then what happens is there is a technically a special election if it's not the automatic election cycle for that Senate seat. so Because senators are there for six years. Say one year into a six-year term, uh, a a tragedy happens and a senator dies. Well, then even though that senator's not really technically up for re-election for another five years, come the next election cycle, so in another year, they'll actually have a special election to fill that seat. Up until that point, the governor of the state will 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 appoint someone to sit in that senate seat up until that election cycle. So now in the case of Diane Feinstein, her natural election cycle was 2024, so she was this this won't trigger any kind of special election. There'll just be an appointment to be the placeholder until uh the election. And obviously this is something that is um is, is of a lot of interest here because the names coming up um yeah uh, tossed out uh, include San Francisco mayor of London Breed Los Angeles mayor Karen uh, Bass the first black woman to lead either of their respective respective cities secretary of state Shirley Weber who replaced Alan Padilla when he became a senator um also there is uh, been a, a lot of uh questions on whether Democratic representatives Katie Porter Adam Schiff would be um Basically, that, that, so that's, that it's interesting to see whether or not they're going to get the announcement. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's going to be an interesting call because Gavin Newsom, my guess is either going to be Schiff or Porter. My guess is going to be either Schiff or Porter because those are the ones who are currently leading in the polls in California to replace, uh, you know, to be the, the new senator there anyway. So – what you know? It, it, whoever gets that leg up is going to have a big advantage when it comes to the election in November of next year. So we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Newsom has yet to announce who that replacement is going to be. I don't know. They could be coming any moment though. I could. We could guess. I guess we could say that. So. There's where all that stands, uh, 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, I want to get into, we're going to have a government shutdown. <laughs> that, that, that That is going to happen. Uh, I'll break down the latest on that debacle coming up in just a moment. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. You kiss me? I like to AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Well, it's not going well for Kevin McCarthy. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's last-ditch plan to keep the federal government temporarily open collapsed on Friday as a robust faction of hard-right holdouts rejected the package, making a shutdown almost certain. McCarthy's right-flank Republicans refused to support the bill, despite the steep spending cuts of nearly 30% to many agencies and severe border security provisions, calling it insufficient. Um, so, and once again, I want to make sure we understand this. This is, it. basically, it's 21 Republicans that are, are this, this group, and they are getting insane concessions. I mean, I am talking absolutely insane concessions from the Speaker of the House. Because once again, it's like, stop spending cuts of 30% to many agencies. So every department in the federal government has a 30% spending cut overnight. And they still say that that's not good enough. Now, once again, the problem here has to do with all these same Republicans who high-fived each other and passed the Trump-era tax cuts. went were really tra- tax cuts. They were basically... The, the Trump era tax, borrowing a bunch of money from China and giving it to wealthy people and the rest of us get to pay the interest rate on it. And every economist, even the most far right economists from the Wall Street Journal and from CNBC CNB, and Fox Business, even they all said, this doesn't make any sense. They're going to basically blast a crater into the deficit. And every Republican goes, no, we're not. And what did they do? They blasted a hole into the the, the deficit solely because they borrowed a bunch of money from China and gave it to wealthy people just because they were wealthy and said, enjoy. And now they're looking at the rest of us and saying, gosh, guys, we got to pay that money back. That's it right there. That's the whole thing. You can't give a tax cut when you are running already a deficit. You just can't. To do that, you without making massive spending cuts on the front end, you basically have to borrow money to give that money away. And that's what they did. And many people have said, if you undo the Trump-era tax cuts, guess what? You'll actually make the budget a lot better. But not a single Republican has once even said, well, we need to maybe revisit this because this puts such a hole in the budget. We we shouldn't be cutting food subs, uh, subsidies for healthy – for, for – for pregnant women who are lower, or lower income, we shouldn't be making sure they don't get food uh, just because we gave a billionaire a tax break. I mean, they're, they're not doing that. They, they, no one on the Republican side is even suggesting that. So I want to make sure we understand this. They're basically at the point where they're saying we will cripple the federal government. I mean, that is people getting fired. That is shutting down of services, 30% decrease in the federal government. And once again, a massive decrease in the Department of Education as well, because they don't like those teachers. So yeah, it was, it, it is amazing. And this is once again, 21, 21 hard right Republicans holding the rest of the Republican Party hostage. And at no point has the Republicans said, I'll tell you what, what would it take to get, you know, the the vote was 198 to 32. So I need to get 40 Democrats on board. What do I need to offer them to get this on? And we keep the government up, up and running. And this that lack of any kind of movement or even suggestion shows you what really is the Republican game plan. They're terrified of getting primaried. All of them are. Because right now in every district in this country is a shirtless, drooling, far-right, mega guy who says, I don't know multi-syllable words, but I know that I want to give rid of the Department of Education. You know, these guys. You know, someone has to wipe the drool off these guys. And this guy, and, and the problem that they have, and this is, we've talked about this, this is the legacy of Ron Paul. Ron Paul realized you could take over the Republican Party if you went into the individual states and took over the primaries and caucuses, which he did with ease. And by the time the moderate Democrat, moderate Republicans realized what was going on, it was too late. And they basically created a system where the most extreme candidates are the ones that get the nominations. And it it goes beyond logic problems. I mean, in you know, it used to be if you were in the suburbs or if you were in, say, a a wealthy part of a metro area, you wouldn't run the most extreme far-right candidate you could find because they got no chance. These zealots, they don't have a problem with that. I'd rather lose with a guy like that I agree with than win with someone I don't. And even though they- they clearly want every Republican on board with their vote. I mean, that's that's clearly the case. But this is where they're at. They're stuck in this 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 trap where the far right picks who the candidates are. So if they look like they are working against the far right, they know, well, we're just going. You're going to get some drooling moron is going to run against him who basically just because he wears a Trump hat is going to get 50 percent of the vote. Yeah, I like him because he's stupid like me. You know, that's... <laughs> uh, vote Trump. He's dumb like you. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, sometimes I'm, I'm amazed at how many campaign slogans I come up with for the Republican Party. So they basically, what here's what the Republican game plan is. Get up to primary season. Bow down to this far right extreme part of the party until the primary season is done. And then all of a sudden, Mitch McConnell and Tom Emmer and all the rest of these guys, we're going to be like, hey, you guys on the right are too extreme for us. We're going to work with some Democrats on some issues. See, we're moderate now. That's what the whole thing is. They're going to wait until the, basically they've got, they've got the guarantee that they will be able to, to hold their seats. And then, and only then, will all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm really working moderate. I'm working Where did you get the idea I work with this extreme side? And part of the problem is they know that people in this country do not pay attention. And so even they could go up to June bowing down to this far right side of their party june of next year they could go up to june of next year and then all of a sudden you know pivot and by the time you get to october it's like i think he's an independent thinker you know and they they know that that's going to be the case so we have to remember every single time these people bow down to the far right of their party and in minnesota this goes from minnesota it goes for the nation if you basically think that some republican is like I don't get the idea where you think I'm an extremist. I'm willing to work with the other side. No, you're not. (laughs) No, you're not. You're lying. When they come on out here and say, we're not even going to let a 12-year-old who's been raped get an abortion, you know, you're going to be like, "Uh, I guess I I, I don't want to get primaried, so I guess I better go along with it. And you'll come on out with the, you know, yeah, I know I said I was a moderate, but I, there are some elements of this bill I agree with. So even though I disagree with 90% of it, I'm still going along with it because I'm terrified of getting primaried. That's your modern Republican right there. And so just remember that, because that, that is their game plan. The White House and Democrats rejected the Republican approach as too extreme. The vote was 198 to 232. 21 hard-right Republicans just killing Kevin McCarthy at this point, Democrats voted, all the Democrats voted against it. The bill's complete failure a day before Saturday's deadline to fund the government leaves few options left to prevent a shutdown that will furlough federal workers, keep the military working without pay, and disrupt programs and services for millions of Americans. I'll come back to that without pay thing because that's as a person who is in the U.S. Army, uh, that one we have to make sure we understand that all these Republicans who claim they're pro-military, not so much. A clearly agitated Kevin McCarthy left the House chamber and it's not the end yet. I've got other ideas, and McCarthy told reporters. (laughs) I just see Kevin McCarthy as the Hindenburg is burning and falling to the ground. Like, okay, it's not over yet. I got some other ideas here. We'll keep this thing afloat. Sure you will. (laughs) Iceberg ahead. The outcome puts McCarthy's speakership in serious jeopardy with almost no political leverage to lead the House at a critical moment and he's pushed the government into crisis. Even this plan, an extraordinary concession to immediately slash spending for many agencies by a third, was not enough to satisfy the hard right flank that has upturned uh, uh, to this speakership. The Republican leaders plan to convene behind closed door Friday afternoon to assess the next, next steps. I bet that's going to be. Can someone please tape that? Because I got to imagine that is just going to be a freaking howler monkey exhibit at the zoo. That's going to just be a bunch of people screaming at the top of their lungs at each other. It's going to be delicious. The federal government is heading straight for a shutdown after midnight Saturday that would leave 2 million military troops without pay, furloughed federal workers, and disrupt government services and programs that Americans rely on from coast to coast. Congress has been unable to fund the agencies or pass a temporary bill to keep offices open. While the Senate is pushing ahead Friday with its own widely bipartisan plan favored by Republicans and Democrats to keep the government open and to bolster Ukraine and the U.S. disaster accounts, the House has been political chaos as the hard right flank sees control. The White House has declined McCarthy's overtures to meet with President Biden after the Speaker walked away from the debt. Why would he? Biden basically just has to wait for, say, two weeks, because at this point, what's going to happen is this. McCarthy's going to realize I can't get the government back open unless I slash everything down to zero. I can't do that. So I'm going to go meet with the president, get Joe Biden to basically give up concessions to Biden and Democratic leaders in the Senate that basically get enough of a bill that they can get passed and they'll pass it. So Biden has all the power here. There is no reason for Joe Biden to, to, to meet with. Zero reason for Joe Biden to meet with Kevin McCarthy at this point. The White House uh, debt once again declined McCarthy's overtures um, after the Speaker walked away from the debt deal they brokered early this year that set budget deals uh, levels. Extreme House Republicans are now tripling down on their demands to eviscerate programs millions of hard-working families count on said White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre Pierre said. Jean-Pierre said the path forward to fund the government has been laid out by the Senate with bipartisan support. House Republicans just need to take it. Catering to his hard right flank, McCarthy has returned to the lower spending limits it demanded back in January as part of the deal making to help him become the House Speaker. So, I like I said, I think what's going to happen eventually is that he'll just take the, the he'll just allow the Senate bill to come up for a vote, hope and pray that enough Democrats come to rescue him and basically get it passed and and kind of deal with it. But. I'm surprised the man has hair left. I mean, I'm dead serious. I'm surprised Kevin McCarthy is, you know, just not, just not like openly swigging from a bottle of Jack. It's like, shut up. No, you shut up. I mean, by, by the way, that would pretty much be on brand with most of the people on that extreme far right of the Republican caucus, let's be honest. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. So more on the shutdown here. The White House is warning that a partial government shutdown would mean 1.3 million active-duty military armed service members must keep working with, without receiving paychecks, and hundreds of thousands of Pentagon employees would be face furloughs. The Biden administration on Tuesday blasted what it's now calling an extreme Republican shutdown, saying it would undermine national security, and it will. That is an – don't, don't – no, 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 no. All this crap. I mean, my God, I, I, one of the, this journey for me to become um, kind of much more of a, you know, like I call it, a kind of a centrist Democrat, an Aldor, Al Gore Democrat, a lot of this has to do with me watching Republicans scream, support the troops, and every chance they had to show that they actually support the troops, they failed spectacularly absolutely spectacularly. And and so as a as a disabled veteran of the US Army myself, I basically when I I I am just furious at Republicans who act as like Tuberville's like I'm pro military as I basically cripple the upper leadership structure, which once again, and I'll be very blunt, I think Tuberville is is doing so solely because he's hoping that uh, Trump wins in 2024, so he can install a coup-friendly military leadership at the Pentagon, and and that's that's what I'm thinking. But don't tell me you're pro-military as you basically cripple the military. And every one of these Republicans is sitting there saying, I am pro-military. For God's sakes, they all watched as Donald Trump mocked a disabled veteran said, I don't want to be seen with that guy, mocked the World War I veterans, mocked Mocked World War II veterans, and and shame on you. If you're a military person and you support Donald Trump, shame on you. Shame on you all. Uh, According to September 2022 figures, numerous states are home to large numbers of troops, Who would work without pay until the shutdown, including Virginia with 129,000, North Carolina with 95,000, Florida with 66,000, Georgia with 63,000, Washington with 62,000. On Thursday, the GOP led U.S. House failed a third time. Well, they failed again today. Nobody jo- joins the military to get rich. You join because you love your country. You want to serve and you're willing to do it at, at some risk to yourself. But you have a very uh, the, every expectation that the government is going to be able to pay a decent wage and take care of your family, said John Kirby, spokesperson for the administration's National Security Council, on a call with reporters on Tuesday. When service members don't get their paychecks, electrical bills, water bills, rent, mortgage, grocery bills, all that stacks up to the greater detriment to these young men and women so in total, more than 1.3 million could actually face real financial hardship as they continue to show up and defend the rest of us at a cost. So yeah, that's that's there's your Republicans right there. There's your Republicans. Uh, Governor Walls chimed in on this. He said his office is taking steps to mitigate the impact of a looming federal government shutdown on the state. On Thursday, Walls released a statement outlining a plan to mitigate the impact a federal shutdown would have on the state programs that are part funded by federal money. The government shutdown will begin on Monday, midnight, Sunday morning, unless lawmakers reach an agreement to fund the federal government. If a shutdown does occur, uh, some federal programs, including supplemental food assistance and women, infants, and children programs, could be paused. Other services, including Social Security checks, will continue. Veterans Affairs, facilities, and government-funded health care, like Medicare, also won't be impacted. In Minnesota, Walls said immediate impacts to state agencies would be minimal because federal funding has already been distributed through block grants. But a longer shutdown could have further-reaching effects, according to Walls' statement. The shutdown would also impact some of the 17,000 federal workers in Minnesota, according to the Star Tribune. Those employees can collect unemployment insurance during a shutdown, but they must pay it back when uh, pay it back when it is resolved. Then they will collect back pay. Part of the state's plan in the event of the shutdown, Wall says, is he'll activate the statewide contingency response team to work with state agencies. His also office also says it provides regular updates to residents and local governments to work with Minnesota's congressional delegation. Wall says his office has directed Minnesota management and budget to work with Attorney General Keith Ellison to pursue legal remedies against the federal government if lost federal funding has not been reimbursed. In the Democratic-led Senate, a bipartisan Short term funding bill had been proposed, but once again, that died in the House. But the main blockage comes from the Republican led House, who are the Republicans are basically, you know, a a bag of cats at this point. Um, Well, the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has said he doesn't see the support in the House to pass the Senate stopgap measure. Well, give it a shot. You just don't want to see any Democrats basically pull you over the finish line. Well, the cuts included the Friday House bill would have little chance of passing the Democratic-led Senate, and of course, they won't get passed. Biden, they, they the, the Republicans are amazing. They keep thinking to themselves, if they just, if they gut everything and pass it, that basically say, well, everyone else just needs to do what we do. We're not being the the unreasonable ones, and that's the thing is they keep thinking that somehow they can shift this blame to other people. And they just can't. It's, you know, that, that's their argument. He, 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 that was McCarthy. McCarthy is just desperate to get anything passed because then he can try to go on the media and point and say, well, you know, we passed the bill and it's the Senate that didn't act on it. The Senate didn't pass everything we told them to pass. And so henceforth, it's their mistake. I mean, it's just they're, they're incredibly stupid. But once again... There's going to be a lot of money poured in to basically get you to forget how bad they are at managing the government. They are going to spend a lot of money on that. Um Republicans in the House object to elements in the Senate bill, including funding for Ukraine as it continues to repel re- Russian invasion. I love Mitt Romney's comment on that, where he basically said, we're giving these guys a few million dollars, some tanks and some accessories. They are basically crippling our number one enemy's military to where it's going to take decades. It's, that's a good investment, and it is. And by the way, anyone who's out there saying they need to take money away from the Ukrainians, because if you truly are for America – You should be loving what the Ukrainians are doing and you should actually be asking, well, how do we get them some more materials, more jets, more tanks, because they're absolutely stomping on the Russians. And what is happening in Russia right now will take decades for them to recover from. So anyone on the Republican side who says, I don't want to give money to Ukraine, I'm going to tell you right now that that is clearly to me people who are getting paid by Russia to basically take their side. So – they're getting, they've sold out their own country to basically strap on the knee pads for Russia, because that's all he's got left at this point. Uh, other GOP House proposals include cutting 80%, 80 percent, 80, 80 percent of the funding to low-income schools via Title I education grants, 14.7 billion. Reminder, they call themselves Christians. They call themselves Christians. The issues in the House come as McCarthy himself is in a precarious position, which I should mention um, it, it, this as well. Because this, this one was something that came out last night in regards to the you know, what will happen with um, Kevin McCarthy in regards to uh, you know, whether or not he'll be staying there as the Speaker of the House. Rebe- rebellious, ultra-conservative Freedom House m- members in the House are seeking to replace McCarthy with Tom Emmer. That's right, that little shiny biscuit up in Minnesota 6. That that they have him in their sights as the possible su- a successor. Emmer is the third-ranking member of the House Republican leadership holding the position of Majority Whip and is a close ally of McCarthy. Nevertheless, his name has come up with several of the House Republican's on the far right who could replace the embattled speaker who's under threat of a motion to vacate or remove from an office by forcing a vote on his leadership. Representative Matt Gates of Florida who has long opposed McCarthy's leadership could introduce his motion as early as Sunday. Emmer has had no discussions with anyone about allowing himself to be submitted as a McCarthy replacement in a move to oust the Speaker, according to a source with knowledge of the House leadership discussions, who spoke to Minpost on the condition of anonymity. From CARE 11, in his statement sent to CARE 11, Janice Shortall uh, Friday morning, Tom Emmer dispelled the notion, saying, I fully support Speaker McCarthy. He knows that, and I know that. I have zero interest in, pla- uh, in palace intrigue. End of discussion. Emmer currently serves as the House majority whip. Managing the Republican Party's legislative program and agenda on the House floor. So two things here. One, here is the problem. And Stein brought this up, God, back when when we went through, what was it, 13 13 votes to get McCarthy as the speaker. God, that was funny as hell. Uh, It was real ringing endorsement there, Kevin. Uh, (laughs) But he brought it up when we were talking about that, and he sort of said the problem that these these far-right Republicans have is that they know they can't win themselves. If Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or Lauren Boebert or any of the clown car show that is the far-right Freedom Caucus were to put their name in, they would lose and lose so badly they know it. So what they've got to try to do is find a puppet but it's got to be someone who's a legitimate puppet. Now, obviously, there are people on the far right that are not going to do this because they don't want to be associated with the, 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 the left. I mean, even, like I said, Nancy Mace is their, kind of their, their moderate. They're, they keep pointing to but the reality is even she doesn't, even though she's shown a lot of loyalty to the far right of that party, I don't think she wants to be the, the, the face of that party. So they have to get, they have to, have to get a recognizable and accepted individual to step into that role to, to be the, the the face and that they can't do this. They have to have that person ready to go in advance. And remember, they tried with Steve Scalise. They were saying, Oh, Steve Scalise runs. And like this, Scalise is like, I don't want to run. Are you crazy? And no one does. Nobody wants that job right now because even if you get the vote of confidence from you know the 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 howler monkey exhibit, you still are only as good as the howler monkey exhibit thinks you are. And the second you talk about, well, let's keep the government open and you no, you're a traitor, and they'll oust you hoping to find someone else. So this isn't not exactly a a, a profile and courage of Tom Emmer. It's just basically the reality is They need a name to throw out there to have a chance at possibly getting rid of McCarthy, and no one is stupid enough to put their name out there, not only because it would obviously turn McCarthy against them, but as well that there would be only as good as that initial vote, and that's the case. Here's the other thing, though, I think, and I brought this up last night. I don't think we should skip past the fact that the extreme far right of the Republican Party looks at. Tom Emmer as quite literally their great white hope. I mean, they see him as their savior (laughs) and that should tell you a lot about Tom Emmer. Now don't get me wrong. I think they're trying to reach a little bit, but Tom Emmer is not nearly as middle of the Republican party as he gets people to think. And the fact that this lunatic fringe, has actually gotten to the point where they have pushed the idea of Emmer as a consolation candidate, meaning they feel as if they could work with Tom Emmer, that should just tell you everything about Tom Emmer. That should just tell you everything about Tom Emmer. And part of that I do understand is the fact that he's in Minnesota Six and that's a relatively safe district, but it also, yeah it tells you everything about Tom Emmer right there. And I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, it's fair for us to basically just skip on past that little nugget of joy that the far-right extremists who want to basically completely gut every major program in the government look at Tom Emmer as their buddy. 952 946 6205, 952 946 6205. Take a break. Come on back. The sad story from last night I want to touch on as well today. It's The Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's The Matt McNeil Show. 952 946 6205, 952 946 6205 is the phone number. Minnesota has lost 15,000 people to COVID. 15,000 people. In three and a half years, we've lost 15,000 people in the state of Minnesota. I've talked a lot. My God, I've talked a lot about this. Sometimes in stunned silence. I guess in my mind, (laughs) when I say it like that, but just stunned. I I thought we were a country that even with our disagreements, that if someone was to say something to you that, holy God, you know, this is such a dangerous thing that in three and a half years, 15,000 people in the state of Minnesota alone, will be killed by it. And I would have thought that everyone, everyone would have been on board. You know, it's not anything to like, but let's get everyone masks, social distance, get everyone vaccinated. Let's take care of everyone else. And I spent an insane amount of time talking about how disappointed I was in the fact that, we have become such a selfish, selfish society. You want me to do what? Well, I want to go watch a football game and eat my chicken wings. You are, uh, you are, you're making it all up. You're making it all up. I get part of this was frustration with it all. I get that. I understand that. What was there to like? What's there to like about this situation? Nothing. But at the end of the day, I would have thought that we would have said to ourselves, you know what, making sure people stay safe, that's the important part. Instead, we got masks are communist and vaccines magnetize you and don't work. They're tracking chips. And then you'd even have people saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated, which once again, we always said, I've always said on this show, fine, you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine. But then they demanded the rest of the world bow to their desires and not basically restrict them in any way. I'm not going to get vaccinated, but I need to go and work on my job on the floor and be exposed to everyone else as I scream at them about wearing their face diapers. <laughs> Zinger. We would scream at people, for God's sakes, don't together get together with your elderly family. It's Thanksgiving. They did. Killed off grandma, grandpa, killed off an uncle, killed off a parent. In some cases, killed off a kid. We'd warn people to don't get into large groups, they go out in large groups, (sighs) infecting hundreds if not thousands of people. We told people to wear masks. They proudly didn't do that and kept insisting masks never work. But that is, yeah, as you can imagine. 15,000 people, 15,000 people. And yeah, a lot of those people were from the greatest generation and the baby boomers. And they didn't deserve to go out like this. They did not deserve to go out like this. They did not deserve to basically go out because their idiot cousin read something on Fox News that basically said, this is all made up. What do you mean grandma and grandpa are sick? I was so disappointed in our society when so many people particularly on the right basically said, "Oh, they're old, let them die." Screw them, let them die, they're old. That and that was their that was their that was their attitude. Incredibly disappointing. Incredibly sad, incredibly verbose. 15,000 people. And I look at that number and the first thing I say to myself is how many of those people wouldn't have been dead it wouldn't be dead if there wasn't such a massive misinformation campaign out there pushed by Trump and the far right republicans and QAnon that basically told people to lead the most dangerous life they could. That, that we're not going to get vaccinated. We're going to take a horse to warmer and jam it up our backside because science. My guess is 5,000, a third of those people. My guess would be a third. And I might be wrong. I might be less. It could be more. But my guess is 5,000 people in the state of Minnesota died needlessly because of self-induced ignorance. And that is the greatest tragedy I've seen in my lifetime. I mean, that is beyond comprehension. It is beyond comprehension. The intentional killing of people, not because of this disease, but because of stupidity. Intentional stupidity. God bless them. I hope that they're at peace because we clearly are not hour two that's up next (music) hour number two of the show here on your friday i hope you have a good one planned matt and patrick here patrick you know what this weekend is for me right you know what i'm about to go do right apple picking damn right my (laughs) friend yo beaches i'm in i'm in cosmic (laughs) crisp territory yo yo that is the whitest thing I have done. That's like Wonder Bread only wishes it was that white. All right. No, um I'm heading out to the apple orchard. I'm hoping it gets cool. I, what was the weather forecast? I mean, okay, what are the best parts about apple picking? Uh, that it's supposed to be cool weather that we're not going to have this week. Oh, God, man. I don't want a <laughs> hot apple. <laughs> um, So, yeah, it, it's... Okay, so... Yeah, it's not going to be. It, the best is when it's like forty-two degrees, and you go on out. It's crisp. You got to have a jacket on. It's crisp. You go out there and you pick an apple off the tree, and it's just this gorgeousness, just ice cold sweetness. Bees aren't out. You know. Like, let's talk about the wasp bat issue there. Uh, I got it. There is an orchard that has the Cosmic Crisp, or not. Excuse me. Not the Sweet Tango. Sweet Tango. I love Sweet Tango. Sweet Tango is just delicious. Since I can't get this new freaking, is it Kudos? It's the Kudos apple, right? Yeah, the one that was just released. God, damn you, Minnesota. Damn you, University of Minnesota. I'm so ready to go get it, but, oh, it's going to be a few years in development. Just don't tell me about it. Don't tell until I can put it in my pie hole, okay? Then, as little pie, you know, really. Until that time, no. So I'm going until and, and, and by the way, there's no guarantee kudos will knock off Sweet Tango. Sweet Tango did knock off Honey Crisp. I love the Honey Crisp, but then came Sweet Tango, and I am smitten. So I'm getting up. You gotta go early though. I mean, because this is not if you've got young kids, it is such fun. It really is. It's such fun. A lot of these places have the, the tractor ride, the hay pile, they've got the pumpkin patch, maybe some animals to pet, wash up afterwards. Uh, and of course, everything apple you always wanted, and you know, I love uh, there occasionally you'll find a place that's making mini apple donuts. have you not just mini donuts, but the mini apple donuts have you had those? I have not, but now I gotta find. oh them. my God, I've only had it like once or twice, and they're like just amazing little chunks of apple in there. It's like it's it's just a fried dough of love to you. oh. I hope you have a good weekend. If you're looking for something to do, try one of the apple orchards. They're out there. They uh, apple farming apples is a very time-consuming and difficult job. And yeah, if know what you're know what you're doing out there and uh make sure you tip. If they have a tip jar, tip them because that's that's a lot of work out there. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Uh General Mike Mark, uh, Mark Milley, uh, excuse me, Mark uh, Milley, uh, is uh, stepping down. He's America's highest-ranking military officer. Milley uh, had a, a a heck of a speech. We don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or queen, or a tyrant or a dictator, and we don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. Said the outgoing chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It is farewell a ceremony. We don't take an oath to an individual. We take an oath to the Constitution, and we take that oath to the idea that is America, and we're willing to die to protect it. Wow. The, Trump told his former chief of staff, John Kelly, that he wished he had generals like those who reported to Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler because they were totally loyal, according to a 2022 book about Donald Trump. Um, in 2020, Trump became enraged with Milley when he and his team declined to order troops to attack Black Lives Matter protesters near the White House. Milley eventually um, agreed to walk with Trump through the park, for which demonstrators were removed, but later apologized for participating in the then-president's photo op. Um, after Trump lost the election to Trump, uh, President Joe Biden last, that, that year... Millie focused on trying to prevent the outgoing commander of chief from unlawfully holding on to power, according to the 2021 book. I alone can fix it. Donald Trump's, John, Donald Trump's catastrophic final year. Trump has spent a year's attacking Millie. Last week, the ex president, current frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination, claimed without providing evidence that Millie had committed treason. Um. Yeah, he's yeah. there is no doubt in my mind, and I said this, and it ended up being prophetic to a point, is that I just do not see the U.S. military going along with Donald Trump in an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. I just do not see this. And Mark Milley is a great example of, no, he was not going to go along with that. He was not going to go along with that. And this is, once again, I want to make sure we understand something about Tommy Tuberville, down that idiot, the stupidest man I have ever seen hold elective office. Tommy Tuberville is a brick with lips. He is so dang dumb. Ugh. Um. He, he honestly thinks being a football coach gives him insight in being in the military. That's how stupid he really is. I mean, he really is dumb. He has been given the task of basically holding open as many of these military seats as possible because they want, if they have to overthrow the government next time, to have the Nazi-like loyalty of generals not to the Constitution, not to the American people, but to Trump himself. And that is the reality of it. So 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Uh, I will uh, – I, I got to bring up this – I'll tell you what. Let me, let me go with a little bit of crime blotter here first. I want to go through a few crime stories that I, I – I, you know, that I caught – that caught my eye yesterday. The main the, – the, the first one has to do with uh, something which has become a kind of a recurring question of like, why did you shoot this guy again? This is Granite Falls. Deputy shot a man in a cemetery in Granite Falls on a Wednesday afternoon after he allegedly fled during an arrest attempt. Okay. The Chippewa County Sheriff's Office said the shooting happened around 3.30 p.m. as the CEEVI Drug Task Force attempted to arrest a man who is said to be a fugitive from the Minnesota Department of Correct- Corrections. So, once again, sounds like a bad guy. Sounds like he's got some issues. Sounds like he should be arrested. The man who police say was armed ran from his vehicle in the rural Granite Falls City Cemetery and did not follow police commands. During the apprehension, a member of the task force shot the man. Emergency medical crews were called to the scene, provided a day before he was taken to a metropolitan hospital and was reported to be in stable condition on Wednesday night. The Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension is investigating the incident. Okay. What you're not hearing here is the man stopped, pulled his weapon And officers shot him. What this story sounds like is, well, we don't really want to have to run after this guy. because He seems a lot faster. I've been eating too many chicken wings. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to just drop him. I'm going to wing him. I'm going to drop him. Oh, my God. I got him in the chest from the back. Uh, Yeah, we got to call an ambulance now. Is that what happened? Did you shoot him for convenience? Because... That's not what police officers are supposed to do. If you shot him, I mean, if he was shot in the back as he was running away, that's not what police officers are supposed to do. You don't just shoot somebody because it's going to be easier. You could kill them. And no, unless there is a direct threat to police officers, you shouldn't be shooting your gun at anyone. And if this guy has ru- got his back to you running away and you shot him just because I don't want to have to run, they, they holy God. And, and once again, I, I, the, the way that the laws in this state are written because of Republicans, it, 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 all it is, is the, I was scared, I was so scared, probably would get away with it. But the reality is, is that I want to find out more about this case. Was this guy shot from behind? It, you know, was this guy, I mean, it, Hey, you know, once again, if the guy is armed and basically is taking a shooting position and trying to pull a weapon. Okay, fine. That's I get that. But was this guy shot from behind? Because that's a pretty big deal. You know, that, that should not be kind of glossed over in any capacity. Also, um, I should mention, um, two suspected fentanyl dealers have been charged with murder and overdose death in Aitken County earlier this year. On June 18th, deputies with the Aitken County Sheriff's Office responded to a report of an unresponsive adult male in Malmo Township. At the scene, deputies and medical crews attempted life-saving measures, including performing CPR-administered nar- uh, Narcon, which can reverse the effects of an opioid uh, overdose. The man, unfortunately, did pass away. Following the incident, aiken itasca Malak's violent crimes enforcement teams began an investigation, which eventually led to the arrest of two suspected fentanyl dealers. The two suspects, identified as 32-year-old Stephen Michael Bochniak of Mora and 42-year-old Christina Marie Krohn of Hinkley, have been charged with a felony third-degree murder in connection with the overdose, according to the Wednesday announcement from the sheriff's office. They are currently in custody in the Aiken County Jail. Now, uh, apparently I'm going to, uh, remind people of two things. One I had during the campaign season last year, multiple Republicans insist to me, no crime ever happens in rural Minnesota, dude, your drug problem in rural Minnesota and rural America for that matter is a freaking nightmare. And all you guys do is focus on Minneapolis. And then you don't really focus at all on what's going on in your own district that's on you guys so it's laughable when you guys keep saying there's no crime that ever goes on in rural Minnesota yeah okay whatever and apparently this guy also did try that in a small town and uh, yeah considering how many people are selling drugs whether it's fentanyl or meth in small town America uh, they're trying that all the time and no one's trying to stop them but hey I guess if a black guy comes into town all the guns come on at that point that being said um this is once again this fentanyl crisis is an offshoot of the opiate crisis to where we're at today a man made drug addiction that happened in this country and if we seriously and Fentanyl is flooding this country, and no it's not all coming across in bags across the southern border. A lot of it's being flown here, a lot of it's being flown in shipping containers and and the like and it's getting distributed and there's not much you can do because it's relatively inexpensive apparently to produce, and you know you can make a lot of money on it, and that's what's going on it what uh, if we don't have people in rural Minnesota, and I'm not talking about law enforcement because obviously the law enforcement here is obviously taking it very seriously because they see it. They see it on a daily basis. But it's the rest of you guys out there in rural Minnesota who sit there and say, I barely survived going to the Vikings game at the old US Bank Stadium, metronome? US Bank Stadium, barely survived. No, you didn't. You had a perfectly fine time and you got out of town. But it's better for you because you are so addicted to basically vilifying places you don't like that you don't see around you the the damage that's going on in rural America. I've had a few authors of books and, and studies on this on this show, and some of them have been stunning. I'll never forget the guy that came in and talked about rural Missouri and how prevalent the meth and and opiates were in small town, rural Missouri. And yet when you try to get the the representatives, these Republican representatives that represent this district to talk about it, the first thing they say is I can't talk about that right now when I'm dealing with either at that point, St. Louis or Kansas city crime, that was the only thing they wanted to talk about. Meanwhile, your own constituents are getting strung out and, and being killed at a shocking rate. So yeah, this is a freaking major problem and this is just the latest example of it. And yes, it would be a good thing to stop all fentanyl from coming into the country. You're just not going to do it. So what we need to do is instead focus on arresting and charging all the people in these small towns that are selling this stuff and, being, you know, and, and really getting into the intervention that way, because that's about the best way you're going to have to, to deal with this. And I think maybe it's time we start looking at this as more than just a petty drug crime of selling fentanyl. I think you have to start looking at this as, as something far more serious. And I'm glad to see that these people are being charged with third degree murder because, yeah, their actions murdered somebody. 952-946-6205. All right. I, I I teased it. When I come back, I got to talk about Mary Moriarty. I got two on, on this. I'll come back and talk about it. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. All right. Also in crime blotter today... This is something that I've talked about before and, and I know that this is something that this is this is where I get into conflict a little bit with with progressives that that really want to see extreme change without actually talking about the consequences. And I and I talked about this a few weeks ago on a different issue in regards to whether or not you could get rid of feasibly get rid of Interstate ninety four through the Minneapolis, through the mid, or in Minneapolis and St. Paul in the midway. And and that I said, you know, I, I I applaud the idea. The idea, the the practicality of it is is not there. What about the Rondo Landbridge? I thought we were going to start doing that, and that wasn't good enough. Some people wanted to fill in ninety four, and I started doing the numbers. And like I said, you know, they think they they can do this for eight miles of this for one billion dollars. I said my best guess was we we're somewhere around. 50 to $60 billion, and I think I'm still woefully inadequate as far as a budget to do something like that because of all the other infrastructure upgrades we'd have to do to pull that off. That being said, what happens sometimes is people fall in love with the idea of something without actually asking the question of the practicality of doing something. And we've talked about Mary Moriarty when... She they had the shooting, I think that was up in Brooklyn Center. And it was a guy in the car who was, you know, running things. And uh was it a, a 17 and a 15-year-old went in and did the murder. And she came back and she said, Well, I'm going to charge this guy with, with the guy that was in the car as the 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 the, the grand pooba of the crime, per se. But the kids. Well, we're going to put them in juvie for a year or so, and then they're going to be on home detention. And I said, wait a second here. These people killed somebody, and you're going to give them Netflix and DoorDash after a year in juvie. That doesn't seem like a punishment for murdering somebody. And the first thing that you hear is, brain size! What? Brains? Their brains are not developed, Matt! How can you hold them accountable? Their brains aren't developed. The insulting thing about that argument is the fact that you're negating the vast majority of 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds who don't murder anybody that seem to have an underdeveloped brain, but still understand the no murder part of society. And the vast majority of people who are 15, 16 and 17 year olds do not murder other people. Some people do, but there are some people there. I've said this before. You need to charge people who do adult crimes as adults, if it's feasible. And then sure, you can factor in life experiences into the sentencing. Absolutely but you still have to charge adult crimes because all you're doing is re-victimizing the victims and the families of the victims by basically not going out there and holding people accountable for incredibly serious crimes such as murder. Here we are again. 16-year-old accused of the shooting of the Minneapolis police officer in August has been arrested. The teen who is charged in juvenile court with one count of second degree attempted murder and third person charged in relation to the shooting of Officer Jacob Spies on August 11th. He was arrested after 7 p.m. on Tuesday during a traffic stop near Dowling Avenue and Morgan Avenue North in Minneapolis. Due to the teenager being charged via petition in juvenile court, he's not being identified at this time. Frederick Leon Davis, 19, is already charged with one count of second degree attempted murder. Uh, Nevea Lee Page, 20, is charged with one count of aiding an officer and being an accomplice after the fact. Spies, a seven-year veteran assigned to the 4th Precinct, was in an unmarked car following a group of robbery suspects who had invaded earlier traffic stops on the 11th of August. Spies was shot once in the shoulder, was treated at the hospital, ultimately released. Good news there. The witness to the shooting identified Davis as both the driver and the shooter in the incident. Page admitted to authorities that Davis was in the driver, but he also claimed to have been sleeping in the back seat and wouldn't identify who was involved in the shooting. So there is a question here on whether this 16-year-old is actually the shooter. One witness says it's the case. The guy in the car says he wasn't paying attention, so he can't say for sure who did. Page has a motion hearing scheduled for Tuesday. Davis, an omnibus hearing scheduled for October 24th. Um... Okay, I already get it, and I already know where we're going here. We're going to get the lecture on brain size. Once again, how insultive is that to every other 15-, 16-, and 17-year-old in the state who hasn't murdered anybody? Sure, kids make stupid choices here, but there's a difference between giving oneself a mohawk and murdering somebody else. You know, there's, there's, there is, you've got to have harsher penalties. And once again, I understand you factor in life experiences at the sentencing. You say to yourself, okay, this is a person that had all these problems. Fine. Cut a few years off the case, but you can't just say, don't just sit there and keep saying brain size, brain size, brain size. What about everyone else with a freaking brain size? They're not murdering people. You didn't think about that part, did you? Then again, uh, Mary Moriarty. uh, Okay, I want to make sure we understand something. The right was... Mary Moriarty. Mary. You got played, dude. You got played. The Republicans were desperate for someone to basically stir the pot on the SRO issue. They were desperate. And so once again, they sent you a request to clarify, hoping, praying that you would say, I don't care what Keith Ellison says, it's my county, it's my rules. And they giddily, said thank you very much because the SRO issue which for most of the state right now has been solved is now back in confusion because you fell into their trap they wanted you to be extreme you could have easily come on out here and say i'm going to judge things on a case by case basis but i think the framework that the attorney general has put out is a solid game you know framework the, easy done Instead, you had to let me show you how I'm going to do things. And you opened up a can of worms, an absolute can of worms. A week after Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison issued a legal interpretation clarifying the new law affecting school resource officers in Minnesota, Hennepin County Attorney Mary Moriarty sent the police chiefs in the country their own interpretation differing on key issues. The chiefs received the letter from Moriarty Wednesday night in which she acknowledged many of them wanted to hear directly from her after Ellison issued his opinion. Why? Why, Mary, did they want to hear from you? Because they were hoping that you would do what you just did. Hoping that you would go like, well, it's my rules. And here's how I say it. We, We got clarity. We had the governor, we had the attorney general, and this whole thing was always about you. And after everyone else basically was covering, they came to you saying, Well, now could you verify this? And you said, and you obliged them because you, you, yeah. Given our office's jurisdiction to review cases and make changes to de- charging decisions in Hennepin County, we do think it's important to provide insight into our interpretation of the new statuary language. Moriarty's key departure from Ellison's guidance is that she believes the statute change does not allow school resource officers to use reasonable force except where it's necessary to prevent bodily harm or the death of a child or another person. Many departments such as Brooklyn Park Police specifically pulled resource officers out of schools because they were not clear how an SRO would be allowed to handle a disruptive student. The county attorney talks frequently with Hennepin County Chiefs, has developed a trusting open transparent relationship with them. This is it, from the quote uh, from her office, um, said in a statement, we know that they can ask questions directly and seek the guidance and that the county attorney will be able, will give direct and honest response even as they recognize we cannot provide their departments with legal advice. Ellison assured many, once again, they can't give you legal advice, but they sure can, let me go out there and posture and preen. Ellison uh, basically put many concerns at ease on September 20 when he wrote. The new law does not limit the types of reasonable force that officers can use to carry out their lawful duties. Basically, what we did is we got, we got Keith Ellison to come on out there and say, basically all this is about is an officer, an SRO officer can't in this school go on out there and just smack a kid in the head because they don't like their Joe Biden shirt. You can't do that. Outside of that, basically everything is great. Like I said, this was the whole look of this whole law was a bare minimum of accountability. And Keith Ellison said, yeah, there is that bare minimum of accountability. But to stop a crime, stop a fight, stop a murder, you can do whatever you need to do. Okay, done. Now, just doing everything in power to help out the Republicans, that's for sure. I'll tell you what, get more on this in a second. Let's get Dan in Lanesboro on the phone here. Dan, thanks for holding. Welcome on into the show. Yes, that Hey, I saw your buddy, uh, Mike Medell, was on the show last night on Day Start, and there, he was whining about all this money he's not getting, and there, this is a, a flashpoint. It's like a propaganda Trump-loving, like you were talking about, the COVID test and all this mess. who's not taking it. This is on a, the channel that they got a big thing going on next weekend here in Minneapolis on the 5th and the 6th there and it's called Flashpoint and you go see and look up their website right. and there and there's something like a I don't know Flashpoint Army all right well Dan thank you I appreciate the phone call on that um if it has to do with Mike <laughs> I don't know if I'm too interested. In <laughs> Got to be honest with you. I you know, unless it's unless it's going to Hardee's, cuz I think both Patrick and I said sure, let's go get some biscuits, man. I'll uh, they're they're going to be more comfortable than your pillows, trust me. 952-946-6205 952-946-6205. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950. You know, I don't once again, and I want to clarify one thing in regards to Mary Moriarty. I voted for Mary Moriarty because I agree that the that the, the the broken system was not just Minneapolis police. The broken system was the Hennepin County attorney going along with blindly going along with the Minneapolis police and always taking their account of things and never really questioning things and going down there, and and in turn, creating a full system where we were failing the Native Americans and African American population primarily in the city, and and that needed to be fixed. But at no point do I ever remember, oh, well, we're, we're not going to charge people that murder somebody as adults. And I also... I mean, how did you fall for this trick? I mean, you're you're, – I'm presuming much smarter than me, and I would have sniffed this out, 20, you know, in 20 seconds. That they're basically – now that they're – it has – it had all the reekings of, well, well, Keith Ellison has cleared everything up, but do you agree with him? Hmm, do you? Hmm, hmm. I mean, by God, you should have sniffed that out and said, okay, I'll tell you what, I mean, I think Keith Ellison has given us a framework, judges will kind of go by this on a case by case basis, but we'll have to worry about that on that level until this time, I don't think we really need anything else to, to clarify. Nope. Nope. And it it's kind of one of those things where if you're going to basically, you know, allow Republicans to grab a, a some level of a um, mode of victory from the from the jaws of defeat after everyone all the house members all the senate members the governor the attorney general everyone's coming to basically here's what this law says and then they're kind of like are do you agree mary please 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 we need you to do this mary can you help us and you obliged I'm I'm stunned you fell for that prank. And yet you did. And now you've given them all this ability to basically go in there and it's going to be the Reign in Mary Moriarty Act of 2024. And that's all it's gonna be, and that's what they'll they'll name it that. And you you're gonna get a lot of Democrats signing on board. So I really, anyway. Uh, speaking of perplexing things, okay. So you guys have heard about the constitutional sheriffs groups, right? You know, this this these are these guys that think themselves that sheriffs are the law of the land. Now, I I want to give, uh, and this is actually I'm very honored that Max Nestorak um, kind of chimed in on this, um, this issue and. Basically, I'm not going to say completely agreed with what I said, Max Nestereck, I said, not Max, ne- not, excuse me, not Max Nestrek. Max, uh, uh, Max Halperin. Max uh, Halperin chimed in on this. And, uh, you know, basically, um, he, 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 you know, covers politics and stuff like that. He, I put out this idea that this, this idea has no basis in law. I just quoting Dina Faye Winters' article in the Minnesota Reformer about this about this this constitutional sheriff's group that's coming in that basically tries to teach sheriffs and recruit sheriffs nationwide to basically violate laws that they disagree with that that they don't have to enforce those laws because they as the sheriff have the final say on what is and in what is not constitutional by the way funny story none of this has any basis in law this is just basically people pulling it out of their backside as a way to, to to deal with the circumstances, I'll get to that in a second. And Max points out that there the connection to the so-called Christian nationalism. Um, the, 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 basically it's 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 kind of this argument that that this is this, there's a lot of this to do with this as a Christian nationalist, and I have zero doubt that that's true. I absolutely 100% agree. But the beginning of this whole ludicrous idea. The entire argument, I, in my from my knowledge and from what I've read about it, really kind of came from states like Oregon, where in the state of Oregon, Portland basically is such an overwhelming electoral advantage for the Democrats that the rest of the state doesn't really have it. There, there's really not going to be a, a mass majority. I mean, they might get close to to winning a House or a Senate. But the Democrats have co- pretty good control of Portland and Oregon overall. And so you have these sheriffs in these really beat red counties out on the eastern side of Oregon who basically, out of resent and frustration that they can't get their guys in there, created this idea that they somehow can negate themselves from having to follow the rules that everyone else does. And they can ignore rules they don't like. I've actually talked to one or two of these guys in my history, and it comes down to basically the idea of if it's a Republican administration, well, those rules need to be followed. But if it's a Democratic administration, you don't have to follow any of those rules. Now, I've talked about this as well. In regards to these the the people that have chimed in in regards to the the new gun restrictions we have in the state that you can actually have a red flag we have a red flag law now that if basically it's determined and people go to a judge and present evidence that an individual should not have guns because they are a threat to themselves or the community or specific individuals that a judge can sign off on this and the county sheriff goes out there and gets the guns away from that individual that is the case I've already said just wait. I, I, you're going to get one of these knuckleheads who the judge is going to sign off on this, and they're going to say send it to the sheriff, and the sheriff goes, "I'm the constitutional authority here, and I disagree with this law, so I am not going to go get those guns." Buting, and then of course the inevitable does happen: the individual who should have had their guns taken away two weeks earlier ends up killing two other people and then themselves, and then we get to hear that same sheriff sit there and argue that as harsh as this is going to sound it's better for America that they died because of that than if I would have taken that gun away that murdered them. I understand that might be a hard pill to swallow but you need to understand that this is my job and that county will get sued into oblivion that kind of, that that sheriff will get recalled and thrown out of office and that's the scene and scene basically you get the point that this constitutional sheriff's thing is kind of like yosemite sam without the dignity okay there you go it, kind of the, the clearest way to say it well they're coming around to minnesota now and i tell you what i would like to know any sheriff that shows up for these, this clown car brigade the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association has nine, nine Minnesota events planned in October. They'll be led by Sheriff Richard Mack, a former Arizona sheriff who's also a founder of an extremist group that played a role in the January 6th insurrectionist. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> Mack gained notoriety when he was part of a lawsuit that su- successfully overturned a provision in the Brady Law in the 1990s. Now, once again, he had a problem with that. They went to courts. They overturned that law. There you go. Since then, Mac founded the Constitutional Sheriff's Group, has traveled the country, recruiting law enforcement officers, particularly sheriffs and deputies, to join his movement. Ding! Their central tenet, according to a report from the Anti-Defamation League, is that the county sheriff is the ultimate legal authority. Ha! <laughs> ah! Is the ultimate legal authority to refuse to enforce any law they consider unconstitutional? You know, I'm sorry. (laughs) We can't can't enforce this law because Mitch, who's the county water regulator, he, uh, you know, he's the authority. He gets to determine what laws we do and do not enforce. Yeah, 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 you get the point this idea has no basis in law. Once again, this idea has no basis in law in lines with so-called sovereign citizens and anti-government extremist movement that he believes are they're sovereign from the U S and it's always hilarious when they all of a sudden say, well, I don't need a driver's license. And they're like, uh, kind of you do. Um, and they're like, well, and tragically, what's happened with these sovereign citizens is they think that their authority goes so far that they can murder police officers and then not get charged with it because the police officer crossed the line. I'm a sovereign citizen. That's kind of the argument. And by the way, this constitutional sheriffs, I think they've actually had some cases where they've been sued and lost because you can't just pick and choose. If you run for sheriff, you don't want to be a sheriff. That's fine. Don't run to be a sheriff. If you want to be a sheriff and you run for office, well, guess what? You need to kind of enforce the laws. That's the whole sheriff part of the title, you know, and, and yeah. Mack will be speaking. Center, Freeport, Brownton, Champlin, Princeton, Deerwood, Rochester, La Crescent, and Blaine. As first reported, the Minnesota news and opinion outlet, Bluestrom Perry, Mac did not respond to a request for comment. The Blaine event is sponsored by the local Republican Party outfit representing Outer Ring Suburbs, northwest of the Twin Cities. <laughs> Once again, a group that helps support the insurrection of January 6th. Ah, just then, The event in Champlain has been hosted by the Liberty Tea Party Patriots which hosted an event in 2022 featuring Marty Probst, the husband of the GOP candidate for secretary of state Probst called on Kim Crockett supporters to urge new law enforcement to intervene on election day, even though that law generally forbids that. God, Kim Crockett, the crockpot. God in the history of politics, has there been a worse candidate? I don't know. I mean, Hey, um, you know, uh, what was the doctor that ran for governor? Uh, i blanking really quick on the name. Um, the senator. Anyway, he was bad. But Crockett, holy God. If you've got friends or family or whatever and sheriffs, deputies and sheriffs, we need them to on election day. Okay. Probe said, that's part of the SWAT team to get out to certain places. Don't follow the rules they're supposed to. All right. Uh, Minnesota law bans police officers from being within 50 feet of polling places except to vote or if they're summoned by an election judge. Mendota Heights Police Chief Kelly McCarthy, former chair of the State Police Licensing Board, received an email inviting her to attend one of Max events from the group called Sterling and Time Defense, which trains people on firearms and use of force laws that uh, advertises itself as certified by the State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension Public Safety. I should not note, this is kind of one of the things, is apparently... It kind of sounds legit that these people have targeted every police officer they can to try to get them to show up to this extremist point of view. You're the authority. You don't have to follow anyone's laws. You can do whatever you want. Oh, so I I basically can, I, I don't have to follow laws that allow people that are criminals to have guns. I can take those guns away. Well, not that law. You have to follow that law. You can't, you, you, it's the other laws you got. <laughs> that would be hilarious, by the way. Can, can one of you sheriffs just go up there and just start asking questions? You know, it's like, all right, so so I can regulate guns near schools then? Because uh, I disagree with the current laws. I say, No, you can't do that. That law is good. But, but it's the other stuff. McCarthy's. And gosh, I do. I, I'm starting to really like Mendota Heights Police Chief Kelly McCarthy. I have no idea who any of these nut jobs are, other than they don't understand why we have three branches of government. McCarthy said, <laughs> Chief, I'm a fan. I'm a fan." James Stewart, executive director of the Minnesota Sheriffs Association, says his organization sometimes gets questions from members about max events, but doesn't tell sheriffs whether to participate or not. Sheriffs are going to do what they know is best for their community. <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of participation on a variety of reasons. When Stewart was an Anoka County Sheriff, uh, it was Anoka County Sheriff, residents would sometimes encourage him to attend the events or send him max books. One of which he said he read, Stewart would give his personal opinion on the constitutional sheriff movement or say whether he's intended one of the events, but said, it's good to be informed to do your homework. Mack was a founder of the Oath Keepers, a violent extremist group that paid a key role in the January 6th insurrection of in the U.S. Capitol. The uh, Anti-Defamation League said six law enforcement officers from Minnesota were listed among the members of the Oath Keepers last year. The ADL declined to close their names to the reformer, though. The Oath Keepers recruit law enforcement and have gotten more media attention But the Constitutional Sheriff's Group has arguably had more success infiltrating law enforcement, according to the ADL. Mack's group believes county sheriff's powers exceed those of any other authority in the country when they're protecting Americans from foreign or domestic enemies. Mack has claimed sheriffs have the power to call out the militia or to support them, the same logic employed by the posse uh, comitatus. Which is the ADL calls a loosely organized far right, violent, anti government group that sprang out of West Coast around 1970 and still lives in their parents' basement. I mean, nothing. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know where that came from. Uh, it peaked in the 1980s. Involved in the Sovereign Citizens movement, the Posse Comitatus is believed to county also believed county government reigned supreme and sheriffs could nullify laws. One of their members, Gordon Call, was involved in two fatal shootouts with law enforcement in 1983. One in North Dakota and later in Arkansas, where he was killed. Oh, boo hoo. Mac refers to his supporters as his posse. The Constitutional Sheriff's Group has honored as a Sheriff of the Year, Wisconsin Sheriff David Clark. I mean, that's all you need to know. I mean, that's really all you need to know right there. Yeah. And they're coming to Champlin and Blaine. I don't know, I'm Yosemite Sam and I'm going to dictate what kind of zoning laws are legal or not because I'm a county sheriff. Uh, It's funny because it's actually somewhat close to reality. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. After this day, I'm going to need some music to get into the weekend. We'll do so when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. 9:50, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil show. I got to read once again. This is uh, Mendota Heights Police Chief Kelly McCarthy. This line, I have no idea who any of these nutjobs are, other than they don't understand why we have three branches of government. <laughs> ah! Oh, that's just precious. I'm going to get that put on a Christmas card. So, all right. So don't start don't start the music quite yet. But I got to tell you, there's a funny story about this song. And this song, I was working up in Bemidji, KKBJ up there. And that was a weird radio station where one of the afternoon hosts kept playing like four Bon Jovi songs a, an hour, which I still can't quite figure out what the heck that was going on there. But I was doing the morning show up there, and th- this song came across, and the first thing I said is, "Oh, this is going to be a massive hit." I remember that, and of course, uh, you know when, when you're looking for insight onto you know music taste, Bemidji. Is where it starts from, but yeah, we we started playing the crud out of this, and I just remember that yeah, this this was good, and they ended up being a huge song back then. Uh, the Spice Girls. I haven't played the Spice Girls. I have not played the Spice Girls on a Friday, so let's let's hit this. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. We are going to be back on a Monday. Native Roots Radio is coming up next till Monday. See ya.